everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk, brought to you by co-lead pastor Amos Grunendijk. Hey, good morning. You can have a seat. My name is Amos. Hello. Good to see your eyeballs. And uh, hello to you on the live stream. One thing before we get started today, I just want to bring out the Operation Christmas Child box because it's time to bring them back. I am very optimistic that we'll be having the outdoor service next week. The forecast looks great. It's in the 60s. No rain. Uh, I'm sad that we canceled today. It was, oh, it's excruciating. Like at six in the morning to be looking at the radar and be looking at the forecast and like, is it going to rain at noon or one? Anyway, we can do the live stream thing. So that's fantastic. And uh, man, I, lo- I do. I love this. I love you guys. Thanks for coming. I have people to look at. <laughs> uh, changes the rhythm though. Okay. So let's, uh, is that, uh, we'll talk about other things later, but I think that's my announcement for the day. I mean, you guys RSVP'd, and you, if you're online, you can see kind of the safety protocols we have for COVID, and uh, it's a joy to see you. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. We ask that you would meet us here today. We want to experience your spirit and your presence in this room and in our homes and during our week. Uh, I just, I know that so many people are struggling, uh, whether they're uh, sick or overwhelmed or just like have a mental kind of pressure that is unseen and unknown uh, in like our lifetime. So God, we need you. We need your spirit. Come and heal us. We pray this in the name of the resurrected Jesus. Amen. Okay, guys. Well, today, it's a good thing you came because I'm going to tell you how to be rich. But I'm going to wait to tell you how to be rich until the end of the service. And I think I have some qualifications to tell you how to be rich because this past Friday, I beat Tyler and Courtney and Allison in a game of Monopoly. And uh, the way you win Monopoly is you put hotels on boardwalk and park place. But that's a little different than how to be rich in real life. But we are going to talk about money today. And uh, this is a little out of order in our Love Period series as we look at Jesus' teachings from Matthew 5 through 7. So we're skipping a chapter that we'll get back to. But I thought it was appropriate to talk about money on this Sunday before the election. And it's because for many of us, money is in the driver's seat of a lot of our decisions. And money will be in the driver's seat for many of us as we vote tomorrow. And Jesus actually warns us about what can happen when money is in the driver's seat. So let's look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. It says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Isn't that true? The the eye is the lamp of the body. 
If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So two things on the eyes here before we get going. Uh, where it says healthy, the Greek word there could actually mean generous. So Jesus is saying, if you have generous eyes, you'll, your whole body will be full of light. And where he says unhealthy, a way to read the Greek word there that Jesus uses is stingy. And of course, being stingy is the opposite of being generous. And there seems to be, as he's describing, a connection between your spiritual health and vitality and the way you view and spend and steward or manage money. In other words, you can view the world through a generous lens, through a generous lifestyle, through a, a, a belief that there is abundance out there, or you can view the world through the belief that there is scarcity. And Jesus is saying to live a generous life shapes the way you view everything and everyone and how you treat everybody. But if the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Pause there again. Sometimes when Jesus uses the word hate, he's talking about it the way that you and I would think about it, sort of this malice, um, animosity. It's very emotional. You know, Jesus says in Luke, as we talked about, I think it was just last week, the thing we do in response to people who hate us is we, do you remember? We bless them. We do good to them. So that would be the kind of hate as we think about it. In other places, there's another way to define this word hate. I think this is how he's using it, uh, where hate is actually in contrast to preference or priority. So it's not to say like this sort of malice that you have toward money, because he uses the same word when he talks about your family. He says, if you follow me, then you're supposed to hate your father and mother and your family. But that doesn't seem like that's what Jesus means if we're using hate in that first sense. It makes more sense if he's saying like, many of you put mother and father and family above my kingdom. And I'm simply saying the priority is my kingdom. So here, money is what many of us let into the driver's seat of our life. It's the thing that gives us purpose. It's the thing that drives the bus. Jesus is saying, compared to my kingdom, put that in a, well, at least distant second place, maybe third or fourth place. But if you're going to follow me, I come first. So compared to the love you have for me, it's like the, the, the kind of indifference you have toward money is, is like hate. So he's either using the word a different way or he's using like a literary technique to draw a contrast between love and hate. Okay. Uh, you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You guys know this passage? This is one of those passages that uh, stings a little bit because, I mean, I like having money, don't, I mean, don't you? The interesting thing, I think, in this passage is when Jesus says, Money, he doesn't actually use the Greek word for money. He says mammon. Well, you might be like, well, that sounds Greek to me, or it sounds like a weird language. But uh, so when, the, when Matthew is translating the words of Jesus to us, he, he could use Greek or Aramaic. 
But uh, he uses not the word Greek word for money. He uses a Greek word or perhaps a Greek transliteration. Is that a funny word? Of, of an Aramaic word, mammon. And this is the word of a god. A lot of times gods in the ancient world were depicted in little images. Actually, that's not just an ancient world thing today. Some Eastern religions still use idols. And so I brought along a bona fide idol for you today. This is Mammon, the god of money, not to be confused with Manon from the Great British Baking Show, okay? Mammon, the god of money, uh, here, Jesus says, you cannot serve both God and money. Now, Mammon has a couple of friends. He actually has two friends. So there's three of them in total. This is power. Don't ask me why. And this is sex. The big three, right? These are the three big gods. Money has three friends. These are actually wise men uh, from a nativity scene. I don't want you to think that I brought anything like scary into the building. But uh, (laughs) money, sex, and power, these are the gods of our day. Only today they have maybe a little bit different name, 21st century names, uh, uh, consumption, romance, and politics. Jesus says you can't serve any one of these three, God's little G, and me at the same time. If I'm in the driver's seat, I'm asking you to take these three, uh, romance, consumption, and politics, and put them below your loyalty to me. Uh, As Gandalf puts it, there is only one Lord of the Ring, and he does not share power. Jesus is saying there is only one Lord of your life. That's what master means, only one Lord of your life, and he or it does not share power. Money will not share first place with anything. Romance or sex, and I use the word romance here not because... Like, for some of us, I think sex maybe gets a little, I mean, it's not abstract, but you know what I mean. Like, for some of us, we just can't wait to have sex. But most of us, many of us, are having sex, and so that's a little bit less of a, of a directive here. What, what I think we could include in this idea is the idea of romanticizing Uh, a person that we could be with, romanticizing a relationship. So some of you are married, and in your mind, you wish that the person you were married to was a little bit more like her, or a little bit more like him, or maybe uh, like uh, little attributes of him, a little attributes of him, you know, Fabio's hair, and anyone know who that is? Brad Pitt? Okay, got to update, got to update it. Anyway, sorry, nothing's coming to mind. Do you know that feeling, the romanticization, romanticization? When you romanticize a relationship, you bring in an ideal, and if you think, if only the person I loved or could love or will love or could date or could marry were this kind of perfect ideal, then I would be happy and then I would be secure and then I would be content. And that's how you know that, which one? that romance or sex has taken control of your life when you start to fantasize and wish that a person was an ideal, was a god to you, or goddess, as the case may be. Now, I want to hold everything I'm going to say in tension because 
uh, money, sex, and power, romance, consumption, and politics uh, could be good or could be bad. What do you guys think? Like multiple choice. Money, sex, and power. Money. Is it a good thing or a bad thing? Neither. Could do good, could do good with it. Could do evil with it. Money, sex, and power. A safe thing to say would be that it's neutral, right? Like, could be used either way. I think the Bible actually has a bias. And so I'm going to use this bias. I, I'm going to jump to Genesis here real quick. And Genesis is important, and we go there a lot, because Genesis has to do with worldview. In other words, Genesis helps us understand how God made the world, and that helps us understand how to treat the world, how to view the world, how to live in the world. So you know in Genesis 1, God creates pretty much everything. I say pretty much everything. Because at the end, he creates people, and he calls pretty much everything and people good. But in Genesis 2, verse, oh, sorry, Genesis 1, uh, okay, there it is. Verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. So God created pretty much everything. And then he said to humans, now I want you to go create stuff. Uh, fill, the, like, fill it with people, but fill it with culture and fill it with art and fill it with communities and governments and, uh, and, and all the stuff that humans build and that humans do. Now, quick, uh, Psalm 24. Well, let's just look at that on the screen. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it the world, and all who live in it. Now, that's, uh, that's a little mis- bit of a misleading translation because remember how I said, God said, fill the earth? The actual Hebrew in Psalm 24, verse 1, is the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and the fullness thereof. In other words, God says to people, fill the earth. And he now, in Psalm 24, reminds us that that stuff is his too. And it's good, and he pronounces it beautiful, and it's part of his redemptive work so that when we read Revelation 21 and 22 and go to the end of the Bible, we find a picture of heaven crashing into earth. So the end picture here is not that earth burns up, nor is it that humans are so good that they build a utopia here, which are two kind of competing views of the end of the world. The Bible's view of the world is that we can't build utopia, neither is the world evil and going to burn, but Jesus comes back with a holy city, a new Jerusalem, and redeems and purifies everything, everything he created and everything we filled it with. It's pretty amazing. Like, this is really actually good news. And so if we go back to our friends, uh, money, sex, and power, consumption, romance, and government, we would say, if we're following Jesus and look at the Bible as like the, uh, the diagram for our worldview, that money, sex, and power actually, they're loaded good. Now, they can, of course, be twisted. So Jesus doesn't say money is bad. Jesus doesn't say money is the problem. What does Jesus say the problem is with money? When it competes with our hearts for our love and devotion 
and loyalty to God. When it becomes not just something we manage in service to God and his kingdom, but something that actually takes power and control over us. When money becomes not just our priority, but our purpose, the thing we think about, the thing we dream about, the things we dream about buying, uh, the, the relationships we just can't keep out of our minds and dream about having, and, uh, and, and like, well, the politics that pretty much can and do, just like money and sex, fill our hearts and promise us things that they cannot ultimately give. That's the problem. You know what they promise? Money, sex, and power, all three. They promise us happiness, and they promise us security. And those are not things that money, sex, or power, no politician, no relationship, and no amount of money can actually deliver. So, let's keep moving. Let's, uh, let's say this. If we're following Jesus, we need to submit all three of these areas of our life to him. And so if we talk about politics for just a second, we have to ask ourselves, and this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus, are we willing to put our faith filter ahead of our political filter? This is really, really difficult to do, guys. In fact, it is so difficult to do that most of you think that you have already done it. Um, and, and something else that's going on in this I metaphor, he, like the problem with the love of, I would say, money, as Jesus points out here, but also sex and power, politics and romance, is that we are blind to it. As a, as a sin or as a corruption of our hearts, in talking about the eyes, he says there's a problem when your eyes are bad or stingy. You, we can't see it in ourselves. And it's, it's not so much a question of whether or not these things compete in our hearts as our number one priority, uh, but to what degree they do. Jesus, though, let's return to politics, did not come to support an existing structure. He did not come to take a side. He came to take over. That's, that's the message of Jesus. This is really important to everybody who follows Jesus. Jesus is the king. Again, Jesus uses the word master here, could be Lord. When Paul talks about like what it takes to be saved, what it takes to be healed, what it takes to be in God's kingdom, he, he mentions two things. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your hearts that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. Like this is, this is the kingdom. This is, these are like two things that God really holds valuable. This is what he's looking at in our hearts. So, I mean, we, we have to ask, our, ask the question, are we party people or are we kingdom people? And as we look at who we vote for tomorrow or Tuesday or who we voted for in the past, like who stands supreme? 
politics, a persona. You know, one of the things that was true of the church is it was persecuted viciously early on. But it wasn't because they said, we believe in Jesus. It was because they refused to pledge uh, unconditional loyalty to the emperor. And that made the emperor mad, right? Not a democratic system. So uh, the emperor said, well, we have a problem and they are the people who follow Jesus, so we will persecute them. I'm looking for absolute unconditional loyalty from everybody. And that should be like something that gets our attention because one of the ways we can tell if politics has a hold of our hearts is whether or not we can see the flaws in our own candidate or in our own policy, political platform. And I'm saying if you're a Republican or a Democrat or a Libertarian or an Independent, can you see the flaws in your platform? Because I can guarantee you 100%. I almost never promise, like with that kind of guarantee, that your politics do not match up perfectly with the kingdom of God and his rule and reign. So I want you to just take three minutes. This is on per not three minutes. I want you to take <laughs> 15 seconds, let's, let's say, and think about the person you voted for or will vote for or the party that you typically identify with and, and name three places. This is going to be a formative exercise. It's hopefully going to help take this little God and subvert it to the King Jesus. I want you to take 15 seconds and think of three ways that your politics and your party or the person you're voting for does not align with Jesus and his kingdom. There's at least three, I promise you. Okay, if you're online, do the same thing, 15 seconds. Now, it would also be, I think, worth taking another 15 seconds, just 15 seconds of your day, to think about the other party. So you thought about things you don't like about your own party. Is that what we just did? Okay. Think about the other party. Sorry. Yes, think about the other party. Think of three things about the other party that actually align with the kingdom of God and what Jesus wants to do here on earth. And I, let me just say, I think specific policies are pretty dangerous because did you know something about politicians? Did you know this? They are humans. And I, I've, I've tried to solve a lot of problems in my life. And when I try to do something specific, you know what always happens in my attempt to solve a problem? I create more problems. Have you ever done that? You? You? Anybody? Everybody's done that. Right. The humans will not be able to keep their promises and the promises they do keep will not turn out the way that we hope because it's a human kingdom, not God's kingdom. So anyway, I'm not, I'm not even going to talk to you about maybe specific policies. I want to talk to you about values or ideals or message or rhetoric or, you know, whatever, whatever the Republican or Democratic or Independent or Libertarian package is. I want you to think about the party you didn't vote for and find some good things about that in your heart. Just a second, 15 seconds.
I'm not going to ask anybody to share. And I did this exercise earlier in the week, and it was a little painful. It was, it was hard to get kind of past the surface level stuff. But that's, it's hard because our, these three guys, they happen to be guys, like they do, they compete with Jesus to be Lord of our life. Let me tell you a little bit about, um, about the world Jesus lived in. He, he would have actually been a subject, like from a worldly perspective, not in a real like kingdom, spiritual perspective. He would have been a subject of the Roman Empire. Uh, you know how the Roman Empire came into power? Through military might and through money. They either defeated their enemies or paid off their enemies to help defeat their enemies. You, know, you want to know what's left of the Roman Empire? Colosseum. We don't have that one? That's what's left of the Roman Empire. Before the Romans... We did this last week. What came, who came before the Romans? The Greeks. Good. We're get, our history is getting better. Uh, you want to know how the Greeks came to power? The, Alexander the Great built an army, conquered the world, at least as they knew it, and they used money to buy off their enemies and pay their enemies to defeat their enemies. You want to know what's left of the Greek Empire? Before the Greeks, the Persians, same deal. That's what's left of the Persian Empire. Before the Persians, the Babylonians. You want to know how they came to power? They raised an army through military might, conquered much of the world, paid off their enemies. This is what's left of the Babylonian Empire. The stuff that you buy and desire with your money, the stuff you have bought, the stuff you will buy. Do you want to know where it's headed? Yeah, you, you, you saw, spoiler alert. This is where it's headed. Your cool new iPhone. Okay, those, those empires, like they still have something left of them 3,000 years later. Your iPhone in 50 years, it's gone. The, the, the power structures that you have devoted your heart, maybe, and your life to, probably the political parties, maybe even our country in a 1,000 years, 2,000 years, 3,000 years. Jesus says that moth and vermin destroy. That's, that's where everything that you build for this world is headed. degeneration, <laughs> rust. And, and, if, and if it doesn't, you know, maybe if it doesn't even get to that point where it just kind of goes bad and ends up in the landfill, um, you know, then maybe somebody will steal it. Like, it's just, it's not secure. The promises of happiness are fleeting. They will not last. The promises of security, they're lies too. Jesus says, my kingdom is different. And my kingdom Moth and vermin and thieves have no power. 
So the kingdoms of the world build their influence, whether it's, we think of political influence, but how about, uh, how about economic influence? Money, sex, and power, right? It's for sale. It's going to make you feel good. It's going to make you happy. It's going to make you secure. It's a, these are not bad things, but they're not ultimate things either. Jesus says, invest in my kingdom. Those things, those kingdoms are built through money, sex, and power. My kingdom is built through, you know what? The Holy Spirit, God's presence in the world, and love. Period. The message of the Roman Empire was you're somebody if you've got money, you're somebody if, you're, if you've got people to have sex with, and, and you're somebody if you're a citizen, and you're somebody if you have power, and the message of Jesus is it doesn't matter who you are, you are invited into my kingdom, you will be loved, you will be accepted if you're rich or you're poor, or you know, a Republican or a Democrat or like Chinese food or don't like Chinese food, like you will be loved and accepted. Just put Jesus at the center of your life and the, the, the real stuff that really lasts, that really matters is in my kingdom. Okay, so now, how do, you, how do you be rich? How do you be rich? Did you know that if you look at the world's population, if you make more than $33,000 a year, you are in the richest 1%. Did you know that if you make $80,000 a year, you are in the world's, compared to the world, you are in the richest one-tenth of one percent? You're already rich. Like you've got more money and more stuff than most people who have lived through most all of time could even dream or imagine. And so the question is, Jesus kind of puts this in front of us, that, that stuff, that money, that's not really even yours because God says all, the, the fullness is mine too. How are you going to manage it? How are you going to use it to invest in his kingdom? And I can't actually answer that for you in the particular. That's something I think that the Holy Spirit needs to convict you of and guide you toward. That God, I think if you ask him, how do you want me to invest my riches in your kingdom, he will give you some answers. And it might be a little unpleasant because one of the lies that money sells is that people who love or trust in money never have enough. And so to give away money is painful. Let me ask you this. Do you have enough money? Pretend I didn't just say that whole thing that you're doing the richest 1%. Like, how many of you this past week have, have thought or worried about money, have wished, man, I wish I had more money so I could buy the newest iPhone or the newest iWatch or the newest uh, Apple Watch, sorry. Like, most days of the year, you answer the question, do you have enough money with the answer? No, but that's how you know it has power over you. While we're on, like, just lies that money tells, Lies make it very difficult to give big, right? Because you don't have enough. Why? Because it has power in your heart. You'll be resistant to where the Holy Spirit tells you to invest because it's, it's entangled and it's divided. And that's, that's I guess, that's where we're going to land. People who have a lot of money in their bank account rarely have peace in their heart. We believe sort of inherently that if we had more money, then it would have less 
uh, power over us. But the reality is, is, and the statistics show this, with a few exceptions, the more money you have, the less you give from a percentage standpoint to charity. The, the, like, the people who have money actually feel the pressure of money more than people who have less. Like, of course, there's a, there's a point where you, you know where you're going to sleep and you know where you're going to eat. But, but the studies say, once you have food and shelter, not one penny more makes you any happier. So we may be in the you know, richest 1% here in the U.S., but we are not in the happiest 1%. We're just not. And that's because we believed the lies of money, sex, and power. And this, is this has been true for my life. The more money I have, the more power it has in my heart. But you want to know what real wealth is? Real wealth is righteousness. And when, when God calls us to be generous, he does that because you know what God is like? He is generous. He's got generous eyes. Everywhere he looks, he wants to bless. In Matthew 5, he blesses those who are spiritually bankrupt. He blesses those who mourn. He blesses those who are meek, who are weak, who are cast out, who are low, who are down, who are on the edge of a mental breakdown. He sees you not as a failure, but with generous eyes, with the desire to bless and to hold and to love. Real romance, the only relationship that can actually meet the expectations you have for it is that relationship with Jesus. It's not Taylor Swift. It's not Brad Pitt. It's not the neighbor down the street or the, that, that pastor from, I don't know where, California. I'm not talking about myself. Like those... <laughs> For those, like those relations. And I, I wouldn't be able to meet your expectations either, trust me. The only relationship that can meet the expectations that you have is the relationship with Jesus. And the only, the real power in the world is the power of God's kingdom because it lasts from beginning to end, from, from the beginning of time to the end of time. Like that's the power that will last. That's what's eternal. And so find ways to invest in Jesus' kingdom He's invested in you. He, he's, he is invested in you more than you can imagine. He is invested in you by giving his life for you. By giving his life for you, he gives life to you. His life and his spirit. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, we ask now that you would break the power of these idols. the gods that we set up in our heart, consumption, romance, and politics. In fact, I would, uh, I would ask you to pray this prayer along with me, everybody who's in the room, in your heart, and everybody who's online. I will not trust in riches, but in him who richly provides. Let's worship. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.